Welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows and big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from comic book panels to moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Dan. Dan, it was quite a week this week. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. It's been a, uh, a busy week, a lot going on. It's been a fun week of comics, though. Hopefully you've enjoyed yes. these as well. So that That is what I'm referring to. We... We have stepped outside the Marvel Universe for the first time in the podcast. Yep. Yes, we did. We're actually taking a major diversion from that normal path. We're taking a look at Marvel's distinguished competition. So we actually mentioned a while ago that we'd be starting to branch out a bit. And with the new Shazam movie appearing in theaters this weekend, I actually wanted to get Dwayne up to speed on the original Captain Marvel. One of the sort of oldest heroes in all of comics, and a character that was once more popular than Superman himself. So, wow. There you go. I have lots of questions after all this, and I'm assure, you have assured me that I'm going to get some answers during this podcast. So I, You're not I'm necessarily going to, to like them. This is one of no, I, the most convoluted character histories in all all of comic books it all is right. legal battles and weird reinterpretations and all sorts of stuff so i'm just saying i opened the first book saw the name captain marvel and thought maybe i had made a mistake that's all i'm saying before we jump in and talk about the stack for this week let's talk uh some comic book news and the first story is actually uh, Brian Michael Bendis announces Fortune and Glory sequel. So uh, Brian Michael Bendis, we've read a bunch of comics uh, of his throughout uh, his run doing Moon Knight, as well as some stuff uh, during uh, looking at some of the other Marvel characters. But uh, Brian Michael Bendis revealed that he'll be releasing a sequel to his beloved graphic novel, Fortune and Glory, and that it will be exclusively available on his Jinx World Substack newsletter. Uh, the, com the new comic, Fortune and Glory, the musical, is a continuation of the original story, which is a fictionalized comedic version of his own early life and career as an indie comics creator in Hollywood. Hollywood... Or, Fortune and Glory, the musical, will bring together Peabody Award winner Bendis along with cartoonist Bill Walco and colors by Wes Dioba and lettering by Josh Reed to tackle the stranger-than-fiction events behind the curtain of the pre-production of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. A lot there. Have you, have you read Fortune and Glory? Oh yeah, I've got it around here someplace. It's it's entertaining. Okay. I I was a Bendis nut back in the day when he was when he was doing a lot more independent stuff when he was doing Powers and, and a lot of his own stuff, and so it's a it's a funny story. It's kind of that that frustrating story of somebody who gets something optioned into Hollywood or tries to sell a script in Hollywood and then goes around through all of the 
excitements and disappointments of trying to somehow get a movie made out of your script. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I really enjoyed the original one. He also drew that himself. So that's going to be different this time. He actually has somebody else drawing it. He, he actually started as an artist. Bendis thought he was going to be an artist. Um, but then it turned out that he met a bunch of people who were way better at art than him, and it turned out he was a pretty good writer. But a lot of his early stories he actually did do the, the art for, and he's, he's a good visual artist. So, yeah, I look forward to it. I didn't know this was, this was happening. So Now, that so, said, it's on his Substack. I don't know if you've seen yes. much about this whole thing. Um, no. A lot of comic artists have tried to move to getting a different way of sort of of monetizing some of their creations by creating substacks and then getting people to subscribe to them or even in a lot of cases they get the substack and it gives people the ability to read something for a while and then if the product project is successful it will then be rolled up into an actual print uh you know volume <laughs> or something eventually these have been varying levels of unsuccessful it seems I don't know that any of them have been particularly great in terms of something that I've been seeing a lot of, but I know there has been a lot of money. Substack uh, got a number of big creators to start putting some stuff out there. And so I'm interested to see how this goes over time. It essentially is a, a new way of trying to get comics out to people in a different format through different channels. And I, I celebrate yeah. that. But I don't yeah. know that everybody's quite ready yet to have to go out and and head to a, a blog to see their comics for the week. So Right, right, right. There there was an additional note on this article. The original Fortune and Glory returns in an all new edition from Dark Horse Comics on April fifth in a comprehensive trade paperback edition that includes a complete story from the original three issue miniseries. And features an introduction from comics and animation legend Paul Dini, as well as a wealth of promotional art and interviews straight from the Bendis archive. So, if you have not read Fortune and Glory, the original, you have you have the ability to catch up on this before jumping into the Substack if you decide to go that route. But it does sound like they were talking about his Substack in the article, and there's. Definitely a bunch of stuff that he's putting in there and potentially having guests join mm -hmm. join him in there as well. And so there's there's potentially if you're if you're really into Brian Michael Bendis, this might be something that, that you should check out. There you go. The other news story I wanted to talk about was Marvel teases the debut of a new Spider-Man hero. And uh this I'm always interested in seeing what they're doing as Spider-Man because it seems like there's a lot of really interesting things that are going on with Spider-Man. And apparently he's getting some help to stop the end of the Spider-Verse. The dark title is the name of the current story arc playing out by writer Dan Slott and artist Mark Bagley. In their Spider-Man series, Slot is black, writing the adventures of Spider-Man after crafting a decade's worth of storylines. He has now set his sights on killing the Spider-Verse, but before that happens, he will team up with Bagley to introduce readers to a brand new Spider-Man hero 
in April's Spider-Man number seven. Now, the identity of this uh, help, this new hero, is being kept secret, but there is kind of a partial reveal, I guess, in this article of a very special variant cover for Spider-Man number seven uh, that basically is an all-white page with the Spider-Man logo in webs and the word spoiler right across the middle of it. So... I guess when they're willing okay. to give us that, that uh, give us who that is, we'll know what this looks like and there'll probably be more to it. But uh, until then, Ooh. I guess we will have to wait. And and if you're interested in picking up Spider-Man number seven, that's going to be available on April 5th. Have I mentioned how much I hate the way that comics and sort of like Hollywood media can't keep things together? Why? Uh -huh. With the across the Spider Verse, you know, Spider Man Spider Verse Two essentially coming out in June. Why are they destroying the Spider Verse in April in the comics? <laughs> yes, I don't know. Does that does that is it just me that's like why not highlight the Spider Verse instead of saying oh, there's a big promotional opportunity with the you know the movie coming out. Let's destroy that thing instead of capitalizing on it. So anyway, such is such is the way of it. Um, but that'll be interesting. We'll see who they come up with and and what's going on. Uh, new characters sometimes they work, most of the times they don't. So there's a 90 percent chance this character will fall flat, a ten percent chance that it will become a Harley Quinn or it will become, you know, a Miles Morales or something like that. So we'll right. see. Right. So, Dan, it looks like you have a recommendation for us for this week. Yeah, and, and like it says in the notes, my recommendation this week is actually more of what I'd call a non-recommendation of sorts. And okay. this is our first foray kind of into DC Comics, right? Mm -hmm. There's actually a couple of DC stories that I love that have been mentioned a lot when the topic of, you know, what should you give a friend who's interested in comics comes up? You know, there's somebody interested in learning about DC. What do you give them? And Watchmen by, say, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, tremendous story. I think it's an absolutely terrible choice as a starting place for people who want to get into reading superhero comics. Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, Klaus Jensen, absolutely great as well, but it's a terrible introduction to Batman. And the reason I say that is both of these stories are deconstructions of the superhero idea, and they really work best if people think first have a familiarity with the genre and kind of its tropes and know what the superhuman or the, the superhero universe, the DC universe that Moore and Miller are reacting to and deconstructing is before they read those stories. So if you're new to DC and you're looking to, or if, if yourself, or if you're looking to introduce someone else to the DC world, I'd recommend you start with something like, Morrison's All-Star Superman, or George Perez's Wonder Woman run. Uh, Alex Ross we're reading this week, and his Justice series, or some of the other books that he's done, are great at sort of giving you up that base mythology of some of the big characters of the DC Universe. So those are the kind of books that get somebody that idea of who these characters are, what this universe are. Then you get the people hooked on the DC Universe, and then you can hit them with Watchmen and Dark Knight and all that, which is 
what I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do to Dwayne later this year because hopefully there. we'll be doing a we'll be doing a Rita Watchman and then you know taking a look at some of the uh, the adaptations either the TV show or the movie so but I, I do think that a lot of times people go for those as sort of great intros and I think they're terrible intros those are those are things to be left for graduate level comics research work they are not like you know 100 level comics. yeah i i don't i de i definitely am not there yet so so we will get to those in time but uh yes morrison's all-star superman george perez's wonder woman or alex ross's justice are the non-recommendation recommendations for this week if you're looking to get into comics or helping somebody get into comics in the dc universe And with that, let's jump into the stack this week. Dan, what did we read? Lots and lots of Shazam. So we started out, I got you Shazam num number one from 1973. Then we did Shazam Power of Hope from 2000. And Shazam the Monster Society of Evil from 2007. That is that is the stack that we read this week. What so why did you pick these particular books as a uh, kind of primer on Shazam, Captain Marvel, and as a tune-up to Shazam: Fury of the Gods that's coming out in a week? So this actually took me a while to decide because Captain Marvel, which is the actual canonical comic name of the guy everybody knows as Shazam, right? actually started all the way back in Wiz Comics number two in like 1940 or something like this. He started almost the same wow. time as Superman. Like basically, um, Superman came out, lots of people saw it was pretty cool, and then other superheroes started popping up within years. And so you had this explosion of characters, and Captain Marvel was one of them. I went back and looked through the Wiz Comics, though, and they are so inappropriate for modern audiences that I knew you would spend the entire time just going, I can't believe you made me read this <laughs> horrifically racist and insensitive comic book. And wow. I didn't want to have to explain it to people either. They, sure. were, they were fun books for kids. But humor then and humor now are very different things. So sure. I decided to move forward in time. And so what we're doing instead is starting with Shazam number one from 1973, which is the reintroduction of Captain Marvel to the Bronze Age of comics after over 20 years sort of being gone due to a massive copyright infringement case between Fawcett Comics, who created Captain Marvel, and DC Comics, who created Superman. And then during the time while DC Comics had made it so that Captain Marvel could not be published, a new comic book company came along called Marvel Comics, and at some point, once DC acquired the rights to, to Captain Marvel, they quickly pushed out a comic book of their own called Captain Marvel and trademarked it to make sure DC wouldn't be able to make a competing <laughs> hero and confuse sure. everyone. And then when DC decided they did want to actually publish Captain Marvel again, they had to find a new name for the title. So as you noted on the cover, it's Shazam number one. But in actual fact, it's the first issue of 
the revitalized, reintroduced Captain Marvel for DC. So this is his first comic book appearance in almost 20, 25 years, 20 years, something like that. Gotcha. The second book, Shazam! Power of Hope, we hadn't read anything by Alex Ross yet. And I just sort of wanted to blow your mind with the astonishingness that is Alex Ross. And I'm not sure if you enjoyed this. Mission accomplished. (laughs) We will talk about it. That is a breathtakingly good book to look at. It is a feast for the eyes. Yeah. So just a lot of fun. It's not that big. Yeah. And and finally, Shazam! The Monster Society of Evil. Why did you pick that one? This is one of my favorite actual personal Shazam! stories. It's just a simple fun story you can read it to the kids you can hang out and enjoy the art yourself it's by a guy named jeff smith who's a favorite of mine if you haven't read the bone series he started as well we're going to talk about it but i love jeff smith and i enjoyed these books and i thought that it gave a good semi-modern interpretation of captain marvel and some of his cast that would give you a good introduction a good introduction to sort of how those characters might play in a modern context or not play in a modern context. Sure. All right, so before we dive in and talk about these specific books, we know we normally do a creator profile. Dan, who are you profiling this week? Going right back to Jeff Smith. I I actually considered doing CC Beck, but we're going to talk about him enough kind of when we talk about the history of Shazam. Um I kind of love the idea of in the same week when we're discussing Captain Marvel, we're also going to be looking at Smith because Captain Marvel is kind of this most pure of the all ages sort of characters of the golden age. Uh, He's been extremely resistant to any of the grimdark interpretations that happened like in the tumultuous 1990s and and forward. And kind of much like uh, Captain Marvel, Jeff Smith himself is also sort of synonymous with all ages comics. His Bone series, self-published in the 1990s. It was then picked up and republished by Scholastic and actually offered in in reprint volumes through school book orders. So there's an entire generation of kids out there who absolutely know who Jeff Smith and Bone are because it it was everywhere. There's also, the one that I have, is the single volume graphic novel of Bone It is 1,344 pages. Wow. And it may be the most entertaining comic book in the history of the medium. Really? I absolutely love Bone. There were were times where I would just sit there almost like crying little tears from laughing. It was was so wonderful. Can you give me a 30 to 60 second, what is Bone? Bone is the story of these tiny little characters that look almost like schmooze or something like that. They're they're sort of got this big nose and they're kind of marshmallowy type of, type of things. They almost look like stuffed animals existing okay. in a fantasy world. And they essentially end up getting run out of their town because of the chicanery of one of his, his cousins and end up on this sort of fantasy quest. And... Okay. So it's got kind of a, an adventure and fantasy type of feel to it. It's very innocent, but it's very fun. And then 
he talks about the the idea that he likes stories that start out very light and innocent and then as you get farther into them they start to have some more serious and consequential themes and as you get farther and farther into bone some of the conflicts become a little darker the stories become a little bit more uh intricate but it still maintains that sort of same just beautiful feel and reading readability so Ah. it's 1300 and some pages I would bet a lot of people read the whole thing in one day when they get it because they just can't put it down. Really? Okay. I'm I'm not familiar, but this sounds like something I should probably look into. If you're not a comic fan and you're not, say, the parent of a child who's somewhere between the ages of 15 and 20, you probably would not know who it is. Yeah. Because I... it's not a character that's ever been adapt- adapted into like a, a show that I know of or anything like that. And he has maintained a very independent streak to where the books we're reading today, I believe, are the only books that Jeff Smith has ever done that are not self-published by him through his own cartoon books company. Okay. So he is he's very much somebody who exists kind of uh, in the independent comic scene. Sure. Only wildly well, that... successful and rich which is unusual for people in the independent comics. Well, that was the creator profile on Jeff Smith. Let's jump in and let's talk about the very Shazam volume one from early in the 1970s. Sure. So this is kind of a fun book. It's a very simple book, as I think you're probably going to note. Uh, It was written by Denny O'Neill who has written a lot of more serious stuff. He actually is the guy who brought back Batman in the late 60s, early 70s, along with Neil Adams. He did some Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff that's some of the most celebrated comics of the 60s and 70s. But he also had the ability to just write a very sort of saccharine, sweet, simple little story, evidently, because this is a classic Shazam story. Uh, Captain Marvel and the Shazam family wake up after being trapped in suspended animation for 20 years. Uh, essentially, they were trapped by what um, what Billy calls the world's wickedest scientist. Um, Captain Marvel immediately begins doing good again and ends up foiling the evil plot of Dr. Zavanna and his children. Those are the people who actually had trapped him. And because they're not great criminals, they actually trapped themselves in suspended animation yes. for 20 years yes, as well. They And then now that they're all out, they're planning to use a death projector to rule the world. So he smashes that and saves the day and everything's good. And then there's also a backup story in the book that's from the classic days as well. The the backup story is fabulous. There's an old man in a park who's trying to grab this string. And it's a string that's actually from the rug of a king in an alternate universe. And it, it ends up pulling the man and captain marvel into this alternate universe and captain marvel has to save them both and it's it's absolutely ridiculous but kind of fun at the same time no and i think what's interesting really about this is the idea that you know in 1973 comic books were very much still made for children maybe not all of them but there was a strong market for comics that was 
for kids. Now, what's interesting, though, is when you read this, you can also see that they are they're kind of operating on sort of the you know Star Wars reboot type of thing where it's not just for the kids, but it's the nostalgia of the parents as well. Because on the first page, he actually talks to a Mr. Binder. And Otto Binder was actually one of the people who wrote hundreds of Captain Marvel stories back in the 40s. He was dead by this point. Um, C.C. Beck drew the, the first story. And he actually was the co-creator of Shazam back in the day. And drew a lot of his early issues as well. So you actually have one of the original uh, creators of, of Captain Marvel, and there's a reference to one of the other big um, big creators. Uh, Otto Binder, by the way, also was a sci-fi writer who wrote a bunch of stuff, and he is most famously the co-creator of Supergirl. So he's, uh, he's got that going for him as well. But outside of that, uh, Beck did all the art, and then as was the way for DC well into the 70s, the inker and colorist were completely uncredited. This was a big difference between Marvel and DC for a long time, was Marvel tried to put on the feel of being more, more independent and more like in touch with the artists and trying to get people to, under, to look at the artists as celebrities. So they credited all of these people. Disney, or a D Disney, ha! <laughs> Um, DC was much more corporate and because of that they they were less interested in creator rights and their idea is that the star was the characters not the creators yeah. so there you go so, so you talked about this book being very very much geared towards kids and I'm going to tell you that after reading this first book a year and a half ago, before I had really looked at comic books, if you told me to describe what I thought a comic book would look like, this is what I would have expected a comic book to look like. Yeah, not just yep. not just like the look, but just kind of the style of the story, the very kind of simple story, the kind of goofy sort of story with, uh, you know, hero, you know, very black and white hero, very black and white villain. Uh, you know, the villain doing something stupid and kind of almost getting themselves caught, that sort of thing. And just not necessarily being this like really sort of grounded, very adult story. It, it felt very much like a kid's story. And frankly, it had me a bit worried that I thought that was what everything was going to be that we were reading this week. It was not. But I was just like, this is this, this actually is how I felt going to see the first Shazam movie. When I went and saw the first Shazam movie, I felt like it was geared towards teenagers or preteens. And, and like, it didn't feel like there was humor geared towards me or the, the, the story wasn't geared towards me. And, and so actually it made a lot more sense to me how that movie was set up and how I ended up feeling about that movie afterwards, because I feel like if you look at this Shazam story and what, what they were trying to do and trying to make it fun for all ages, 
it the, this very this comic book does that and i think that movie does that yep no i i think now it, it is sad to me to think that people think this is what comic books are because yeah. to be quite frank the art is pretty is relatively simplistic you know beck is a legend he's a hall of famer in terms of of comic books right he's got all of the the lifetime achievement type awards right but he's an artist who started his career in the 1940s or 30s right it's pretty simplistic in terms of modern terms for art mm -hmm. denny o'neill's writing at this point is clever but this is definitely not what he wants to be remembered for, yeah right you know and all of this is very much I think the most interesting part about it is the way they just sort of are like, yeah, he's been lost in suspended animation for 20 years and now he's back. And there's people on the street going, oh, man, you know, I, I remember him when I was a kid. He looks exactly the same now. And, and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it was very meta aware for a book of that time. And it's also interesting that they talk about, you know, the world's wickedest scientist being the reason he's been in suspended animation for 20 years. When in actual fact, it's DC Comics, the company publishing the comic book, that's the reason he's been in suspended animation. <laughs> they are the world's wickedest scientist, right? Uh, so, oh well. So, we do you want to talk about that now? Or do you want to talk about that near the end? I So, I just... The thing that baffled me is looking at the front cover, seeing this giant Captain Marvel on on the on the cover, and being like, "Wait a minute! I thought I was reading a Shazam story." How so let's how let's did just how did this, this how did this happen? Let's just hit this how did now. this happen? So, yeah, the character of Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, is one of the earliest characters in comic book history. I mean, one of the earliest, I shouldn't say comic book history, one of the earliest superheroes, right? So you sure. had Superman come out in 1937, and relatively soon after that, other heroes started coming in because it was obvious that the character was was profitable, he was popular. So you sure. know, DC brings out Batman or national publications relatively soon. And then you have a ton of other superheroes come out. Captain Marvel debuts in 1940 in Wiz Comics number two. And he's different from Superman in that he's got, you know, a different costume, obviously. His powers are magic-based, not science-based. But he's still got the flying and the super strength and whatever. DC had been jealously guarding a lot of its patents, and so had Marvel, actually. So when, when Captain America first uh, was introduced, in fact for Marvel Comics, were timely at the time. He had a shield that was kind of in the shape of almost more like a, a scalloped type of thing. It had three three points and was yeah. Uh, yeah, more I like remember a, that from... a regular shield. Turns out there was another comic character called The Shield who'd been created just a little while earlier who had that shape of shield. And so the reason Cap now has a circle shield is because they threatened legal action if they... Marvel timely didn't, didn't change. change it. So yeah. a lot of things like that happened early on as the this occurred. But Captain Marvel was super popular. And in fact, by the mid-1940s, he was regularly outselling Superman. 
and was almost certainly the most popular comic book character in America. So popular, in fact, that they brought out two or three different other characters. Captain Marvel Jr., um, Mary Marvel, Captain, what's the other one? Young Captain Marvel or something like this. And then they all got their books. So you had the whole Captain Marvel, Marvel family. Um, DC started realizing this was more than they wanted to deal with, so they sued. And the lawsuit stretched out for like 10 years. But at the very end of it, what they finally did is they didn't so much defeat the creators of Captain Marvel in court as they bankrupted them just by lawsuits and eventually yeah. found a judge who did then rule in their favor. And so the company ended up having to stop publication. The rights eventually went, in fact, or were sold to DC. And then when DC got the rights, they simply put Captain Marvel in cold storage because they didn't want to have a competitor to Superman out there. And he just was stopped published in like 1953 or something like that. Then when Marvel comes along, you have a new company called Marvel, obviously. They know DC's got this character. And when there become rumblings that DC might want to do something with Captain Marvel, they bring out a book called Captain Marvel because the trademark has lapsed. Now they've mm -hmm. got their own character called that. And so when DC does want to bring back Captain Marvel, because of trademark things, the weird thing is they can still call him Captain Marvel in the book, but they can't call him Captain Marvel in any of the trade dress or anything like that. So that's why the book is called Shazam. But the original Captain Marvel, in other words, is not from Marvel was not created by Marvel, and in fact has sort of had his title stolen by Marvel, right? Yeah. To yeah. make it all weirder, even all this is going on over in England, all of the Captain Marvel adventures were being reprinted, and when they were being reprinted over there, they actually were incredibly popular as well. So when the stories stopped coming over because Captain Marvel was sort of taken out in the United States, the people who published the reprints over there decided to just keep going by making a oh, transparent geez. copy. And uh -huh. they called it Marvel Man. And so oh, then gosh. you have Marvel Man and Young Marvel Man and Marvel Man Jr. and everything else and Mary Marvel Man or whatever, all of the same characters basically hired some of the same people to do stories and the like. And they just continued on. And for decades, wow. there were Marvel Man stories in, uh, in England. And until they started trying to come back to the American market, they kind of got away with it. At a certain point, that became problematic, though. And the rights went into a sort of limbo. And then eventually, Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and a bunch of these guys who loved Marvel Man when they were kids found a way to with a new company come back and they couldn't use Marvel man. So they called him miracle man. And then they started publishing miracle man comics, which eventually got them in legal trouble and they had to stop at which point Marvel now has acquired the rights to miracle man, even though they don't have the rights to captain Marvel. And now I am currently in the process of collecting 
the Miracle Man comics that were created actually in 1980s or 90s and are just now um, sort of like finally being reprinted by Marvel. And they're also doing new ones. So like Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham did some stuff as well in like the early 2000s or something. And that's just finally seeing print. Everything about this character is a massive legal jumble to the point where a lot of people say no one even actually knows who really owns it. Todd McFarlane still claims that he owns the rights to Miracle Man because of some weird deal he did with Gaiman uh, on some Spawn stuff and the like. It's a complete disaster. This is crazy. <laughs> this is absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. So there's not only a bunch of different types of characters based off of Captain Marvel, but none of them are the Captain Marvel that's the Captain Marvels that you know from the MCU. Right. Yes. So I would say, conservatively, I know of 15 or 20 characters that are associated with the Captain Marvel name in one way or another. Wow. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is, that is kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay. And we're okay. only dealing with one of them or one group <laughs> we, of them. Uh, Yeah. Yes. We're so is there, the Shazam ones. is there anything else that we need to talk about with regards to Shazam number one, or should we move on to Shazam power of hope? Main thing to know about it. It was not particularly successful. Whether it had already gotten to the point where comics simply couldn't be this innocent and make it in the superhero realm, or because of the fact that the early 70s had kind of some weird paper shortages and stuff where there were a lot of books that got caught up in what was called the DC implosion, uh, Shazam did not actually uh, succeed all that particularly well. And uh, and so they, they rebooted it at a certain point. But um, yeah, so it... It went for a while, but not not particularly long. So and then he moved on, being in other different uh, different books for DC and the like over time as well. Okay. All right. Let's let's move on then to the year two thousand and talk about Shazam: Power of Hope. This is this is a one off book, right? And but it does yeah. look like there were some other. Uh, Similar sort of one-off annual sort of books like this. Yeah, so he did he did a Batman one, he did a Superman one, then I think it was this one, and then there's at least a Wonder Woman uh, in this group of books as well. So, really interesting stuff. And I was hoping you would enjoy it. It's Alex Ross, it's Paul Dini. Dini, by the way, uh, was heavily involved with a lot of the like Batman the Animated Series stuff. He's one of the co-creators of Harley Quinn, and he's been a really good writer, very heavily sort of tied to the Batman universe over the years. Okay. Well, tell tell us a little bit about about this story, and then and then I think we have to start with the artwork because the artwork is unlike I think anything I have ever seen. Yep. So. Story basically starts with a young Billy Batson who's he feels overcome by the burdens of his personal life and his life as Captain Marvel. Um, he works a lot, which he's young enough that he shouldn't have to do that, but that's the way it goes. He's working at WHIZ, 
uh, ends up trying to take home some some correspondence, some letters that were written uh, essentially to Captain Marvel. And one of them leads him to spend some time at a children's hospital to try and bring some happiness to the kids while sort of rejuvenating his own resolve to help other people uh, as well. So he takes the kids on adventures, confronts an abusive father, and also there's some relatively sad times where he learns that there's some battles even a superhero can't win. So, yeah, it was very, very strong story, I think. Easily my favorite story of this week. It is a wonderful story that has action, but also, like, it was one of those things when I finished the book, I just sort of sat and thought about it for a few minutes. And it was, there was a lot to unpack there. There, like, you know, you talked about the abusive father and, and you know, even even like he's talking to the wizard and the wizard says, you know, there's there there's one boy in particular, one child in particular that you really need to help while you're in the hospital at the children's hospital. And he thinks it's the kid that has the abusive father. But at the end, he's like, no, actually, I was talking about you, Billy. You you're mm-hmm. the one that really needed needed this. And it was yep. it was incredibly powerful and. The artwork complements this story so, so well. Yep. And when we talk about artwork, it is unlike anything else you'll really ever seen. Because what Alacross does is he actually does photorealistic paintings using photo references, actually. And in many ways, I call them sort of R. Norman Rockwell. And I think that's because in many ways his process is similar to a lot of those classic illustration artists of the 40s and 50s. Um, Many of his characters are actually based on real people, like neighbors and folks he knows. And for instance, Shazam always looks the same in all of his books because it's the same guy he's had coming over to sit for all of his Shazam portraits for 20 years or whatever. And it's the same with Superman and Batman. He essentially has cast real-world people who then come over and he poses them and they sit for portraits and whatever uh, that he then turns into sort of painted comic panels. So I, yeah, every time they show a picture of captain Marvel, like kind of like the bust shot from like the, the shoulders and you get a real good picture of his face. It is so consistent every time you see it and it looks like a real person like it just is it 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 is it is quite amazing it it is really really something and there's not so much panels in this as there is it's just a two page where there is basically one image into another image into another image maybe even into a fourth image and there's just a little bit of white space in between them so you know that they're kind of transitioning from left to right on the page and it just it looks so amazing there's a spot where he's he's juggling bears and it just looks it looks crazy but it it just looks beautiful at the same at the same time yeah, and, and that actually is the other thing, is that he is a truly gifted storyteller as well as being a good illustrator. Because 
painted art is very nice, but it also has the problem that in comics a lot of time it looks kind of stiff. And it's hard, the, the more detail and the more perfectly you paint it, the harder it is to get sort of that kinetic energy that is sure. so important to comics. And he has this ability to maintain that sense of motion and movement. But more than that, there's just this mythological sense of the characters. Like, I don't know about if you thought this, but Captain Marvel, the way, and he does the same thing with Superman, the way he paints or draws him is just bigger than any normal human being could ever be. He just takes up yeah. space. He occupies space in a way that that no human being should be able to. And it just makes it, him truly look mythic in a way that they rarely do. He does seem larger than life throughout this book. And, and like, it's not just when he's doing stuff that's like heroic either. It's just him, you know, playing catch with a, with another kid or something like this. It, it, it just, it's still, he just has this, like everything just sort of pops off the page. It, is is maybe the best way I can put it. It just it it is truly amazing work. Yep. And the other thing that's interesting about it is that everything that Ross is sort of involved with with DC, he he looks at the characters as sort of these modern day gods, as these these larger than life mythological figures, and then he writes stories that really sort of bring the humanizing and yet sort of special elements of those characters to the fore. So when he sure. writes a story about Batman, when he writes a story about Superman, he doesn't just want to write a story that's, you know, X thing. It highlights mm -hmm. something particular about that character. And in this case, he wanted it to be the fact that this is a character who just brings hope to people, who brings sort of that belief in a in a better world to people simply by this almost radiant goodness that he's got around him you know if if you to that point every time you see these kids when captain marvel is there they just have these huge smiles on their face and it is that that's the hope that he's providing by just being there it, it is it is something and also that you know he he concentrates on really the most important the thing that a lot of people say is the reason why captain marvel beat superman in the early 40s why in many ways he was the more popular character is because for young people that idea that this is a superhero who was actually a kid you know right he's, he's just a he's just a normal kid could be any kid who he says a secret word he's and boom he turns into this larger than life superhero and that's just sure. a, a wish fulfillment at a crazy level that they'd found. Mm -hmm. And so the innocence that that brings too, though, that there's just this little kid inside this big body also helps to be one of the things that sort of defines Captain Marvel. And he is, because of that, always kind of a little bit more innocent, a little bit kinder, a little bit less jaded. Than the right. Other yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, are we ready to move on to the Shazam, the Monster Society of Evil? Always ready sure. to move on to Monster Society of Evil. So, 
All right. Yeah. So this is a newer um, iteration. And as a note, I did have a decision to make here because there are a lot of newer books where Shazam's in the Justice League or Justice Society where we could take a look at him more as a traditional superhero type character. But sure. I just like this book and I wanted you to read this book. So sure. I will note there, there is another side we could have gone down with Captain Marvel. Still, you know, got a lot of that same innocence and, and the like. Still a base, same basic character. But more within the standard DC universe. But this one is just a fun story. It sort of exists outside of the regular continuity. It is just its own thing. Uh, it does have a retelling of the story that we'll see again, etc. Yep. So it's yep. from 2007. Jeff Smith does all of it. He does the writing, the art, and the letters. Uh, colorist on it is Steve Hamaker. He doesn't a lot of times actually have a colorist. He normally doesn't like to um, to color his stuff. He does a lot of things in black and white. But DC, pretty much everything they do is in color. So um, he does he does have a colorist on this one. And he did a nice job, I think. So, yes. Story that we have. Um, Billy Batson. He's a young boy living alone in an abandoned building. He's got no family. Has only kind of an old bum for a friend. Eventually, he becomes Captain Marvel by going down the same standard path of he gets on a subway train, gets off at a weird stop, ends up with the wizard, and uh, becomes becomes Captain Marvel. Unfortunately, he then returns back to the what's called the Rock of Eternity, gets a little bit too curious while Billy's visiting with Captain Marvel, which I don't even know how that works, but it does in this story. <laughs> it does. Somehow, yeah. He ends up heading back to the Big Bang, causing a paradox. And when he returns to Earth, he finds that there's these weird alligator monsters that are threatening the city. He sort of fights them off at a circus with the aid of a talking tiger. Uh, saves his newly found little sister in the process. And then a massive robot appears in the city with Mr. Mind at the controls. He talks to Captain Marvel and tells him that once there are three of these beings, they are going to get together and erase humanity from the globe. The second monster robot appears, and Billy has to actually change into Captain Marvel, uh, accidentally giving his sister Mary powers too. Billy and his sister then both end up flying around and fighting a little bit, but when they turn back into their uh, child selves, they're kidnapped by Dr. Savannah, the evil attorney general of the, uh, of the country. Billy escapes. Cap and the Tawny, the tiger, start searching for his sister and eventually find that she's being held in one of the giant monsters. Billy sneaks inside as well, and because of the weirdness of the plot, he has to become small to get in through this weird opening, and it's too dangerous for him to turn back to Shazam once he's in there, so he has to do this part of the adventure as Billy. Don't ask any questions, you just have to accept yeah. that, because it's, it's yeah. how it works. Um, uh -huh. While he's in there, he finds out, that all the insects of the area, or maybe of the earth, are being called into these, and they're then going to be used to power the third robot, which will actually start the destruction of all human life on the planet. And he's like, oh, you can't do that. And he's like, you know, you guys are pretty terrible to us. And most of the insects are like, you guys treat us awful. We'd kind of like you to be gone. But he somehow convinces them because he's so good that they shouldn't destroy humanity. Um... 
Eventually, he escapes the robot, goes giant size to the actual size of the giant's robots, punches them into a small black hole, which sends them back to the other side of the Rock of Eternity, and we find that Billy and Mary are heroes. They're taken under the wing of a medium magnet, and Billy gets a job at one of his stations, WHIZ, which is where he's worked for, yeah, 50, 60 years now. So, there you go. Yeah, that sounds crazy, and it kind of was crazy reading it, but it was fun. I, I will say this this uh, this story was fun. Like, start to finish, I, it was it was just kind of cute and put a smile on my face, I think. Yeah, I think it really is just a love letter to the whole history of Captain Marvel slash Shazam. You know, when you look at Smith and his influences, he's a big fan of Pogo. And in fact, Bone kind of looks a little bit like Pogo, to be quite frank. He is a big fan of the like Uncle Scrooge comics. He's a big fan of Captain Marvel and some of the more sort of quirky or you know less serious comic books of the older days. And so this is just him giving free reign to the goofiness that would have been in a lot of those comics back in the day. So it's got a very old-fashioned feel to me in the in the way the story's told and it's set kind of in an older age it seems so i i really enjoyed it though thought it was fun i think his art is so fluid and and sort of expressive that there's a lot of little sight gags in it and stuff like that as well just kind of to keep things interesting so the the art in the book I, I liked as well as the like the color palette that was used throughout it. There was a lot of there was a lot of darks used, but a lot of also lights used, and they were used in contrast with another one another quite a bit as well. I it reminded me from a look standpoint of like older, and by older I mean like nineties to early two thousands kind of cartoons. I'm thinking something like Pinky in the Brain or, or Animaniacs or something like that. And it just sort of, it, it's not that it looked the same. It just sort of kind of reminded me of those and, and kind of gave me this nice, warm nostalgia feeling as I, as I started getting into the book. And the books, the, these are like, there's four books and they're they're kind of like double issues, each of these so they're about yep. 50 pages and but they read really fast there wasn't there wasn't a lot of words the the pictures and the and the panels did a lot of the kind of the talking of of this story and so they were actually very quick reads as a result oh, similar to bone like i was saying it, it it seems really daunting when you look at the the big volume but it reads quick and Partly that's because there's not as many words and he uses sight type gags. Partly it's just because Smith is very talented at just sort of maintaining that flow across the pages and keeping you read it. So Yeah. No. Oh. You so, you talked you talked about not thinking too deeply into this, yeah. I think. Because there's there's some weird stuff that's going on in this like he, he he, you, you talked about him giving his his sister accidentally giving his sister powers. He basically says Shazam when he's standing right next to her, 
And then suddenly it just sort of this lightning bolt arced over into her. And then suddenly she has powers. And those, then she's like starting to fly around and doing all this weird stuff. And then at the end, he actually loses his powers for a couple panels. Because when he punches these monsters into this black hole, it actually sucks Captain Marvel out of him or his powers out of him and into the black hole as well. And so he tries to say Shazam and get it become Captain Marvel again afterwards. And he can't. And, and, and Mary then does basically the same thing he did to her to get, give her powers. She does it back and then he gets his powers back and everything is fine. And that's how they end it. It was, it was kind of crazy. Um, yeah, and and it really is meant to be tongue in cheek and sort of just fun. This would not yeah. stand up to too much scrutiny in terms of a lot of it, but I, I think that's kind of what Smith is wanting. Is he wants to right. give you something that is not meant to be, and and in fact, even when you look at, I don't know if you noticed, but in the front and back, there are actually secret coded messages. I did like, see yeah, that. Figure I... out our secret code and and the like. So, yeah, I I actually went trying searching to figure out what those codes meant, and I was not able to really find anything that explained how to decipher the codes or what the codes actually were. Um, but yeah, no, I did notice that and uh, was tried to figure it out and couldn't. So imagine how much fun it would be if you are a kid and suddenly you've got you know these codes and stuff like that and the the main thing is that all of these i think it's the same one there actually was a captain marvel secret code back in the 1940s and it was developed and as long as you knew the secret code you could decode his messages and i believe he just reused the same code really yeah so you'd have to go back Fun. and find one of the old comics that's got the got the secret code the idea was then if you and somebody else are big Captain Marvel fans, you can send other people messages and all the rubes that aren't into Captain Marvel <laughs> are not able are not able to understand your high flu sure. talk. So yeah. Sure. Well that's so fun. He, he did a lot of interesting stuff like that. So it it was truly it was truly something where he was calling back to a lot of the old stuff and referencing them. You know, he's got Mr. Mind, he's got Dr. Savannah. Who in this one he's an attorney general, but he's the bad guy, uh, you know. Obviously, like in the Shazam number one we read and stuff like that. So yeah, I was gonna ask: is that kind of a reoccurring villain or absolutely? Those that are keeps, his two big keeps... villains. Okay, okay. I I figured as much, but I just not familiar. And does he normally have a talking friend that can change forms to like tigers and cats and things like this? I think Taki is normally just a tiger. I don't okay. know that he's normally a, a whatever they call them. Um, that that's kind of a a more complex topic than what you would see. But yeah, normally there. he was just a tiger. So, okay. Yeah, essentially Taki basically started out just as a stuffed tiger, and he came to life. He is sort of the original embodiment of Hobbes, essentially. Right, if you just think okay. of a very, a very dapper Hobbes, that's pretty much that's pretty much him. 
I, w- I will say one thing I noticed is it, it feels like the adults were not necessarily cast in the best light throughout this. They were, they were kind they of. never were. <laughs> adults are not to be trusted. They're always yes. causing trouble. So, and, and uh, the adults that were normally to be trusted. Um, I think the, the guy who runs the newspaper was, or the, the radio show is always usually somebody who's a good guy. And, you know, like the, there's a few others here and there, but yeah, he, he is a kid who a lot of times is trying to make a living and the, the grownups around him are not helping, you know, sure. they're, okay. they're not helping. So you have, you have maybe some general questions about all of this. What, uh, what do you got for me? So. The first thing I have to know is what is the deal with calling him the big red cheese? Because (laughs) that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I get that he's, he's big and red when he's Captain Marvel, but, and, and there's some yellow on the cape and that, but big red cheese. What is that? It's been an insult that Savannah's used on him forever. And I think it's, it's the idea that Savannah is the scientist and he's this smart guy who constantly thinks he's supposed to be doing everything and he hates being beaten by this behemoth dude. Um, you know, little does he realize he's got the wisdom of Sol- Solomon behind him. So he's smarter than, than Savannah, but Savannah doesn't like to believe that. But he just calls him, <laughs> sometime in the 40s, he started calling him the Big Red Cheese and, and that was his sort of insult. It turned into more of just a kind of a thing other people called him occasionally like fans and stuff but it is technically something that normally people only said as kind of an insult okay so. i it it kind of came across that way but mm-hmm. at the same time it was so ridiculous that it didn't feel like it was much of a uh much of an insult at the same time yeah yeah it uh, it's not a it's not a big insult and in fact there are some people you know that that's just kind of a a pet name for him but technically i don't know if he'd be particularly happy if you called him that to his face so there you go sure sure in insults were a little bit softer in the 40s than they <laughs> savannah probably would have other words to describe him by if he was coining an insult today so um other than that you've watched some dc movie eu movies you've watched the Batmans, and you've watched yes. you know, the Snyderverse. Does it seem at all this, discordant that this guy's a part of the DC universe? This does not feel anything like anything else DC that I'm aware of. Like, it just... And, and again, I'm not the biggest connoisseur. I mean, I, I've been around Batman and and and, you know... More recently, some of the Black Adam and things that have gone on there as well, and some Superman movies. But this this feels completely different than all the rest of that stuff. Yep, and in fact, you know, you look at you look at the recent Black Adam movie, and consider the fact that Black Adam is essentially a part of the Captain Marvel universe, right? Even back in the day you also see how difficult it is to sort of shoehorn that 
version of a, a sort of anti-hero type of character like Black Adam into the Shazam universe. So, yeah. you know, if they were going to try and somehow have Shazam fight Black Adam, it would be weird, which is why it sounds <laughs> like they just decided to skip that entirely and just have Black Adam become Superman's foe instead. Sure. But but Black Adam is technically, I mean, he's he's sort of Captain Marvel's true nemesis because he's almost like the anti-Captain Marvel. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so weird. Like, it, it feels... The, I don't know. The way Marvel did it, it just sort of feels like everything sort of makes sense together. This, the, this, the, some of the other DC stuff, I definitely see how it could work together. This just feels like this complete out in left field sort of thing that I don't know how it ends up being put in with the rest of a larger universe. Well, and obviously we probably don't need to worry about it now because the larger universe has exploded just as he's getting there. But um, but he is a very different character from even the DC universe back then, which is one of the reasons maybe why he had a tough time keeping a book going. And since then he's been in a lot of the team-up books. But of course you don't want normally Shazam or, or Captain Marvel and Superman in the same one. Because if you have two Superman, what really do you need anybody else there for? You know, <laughs> everyone else can just kind of go every, home. And every, have, everyone have else is off. Hawkeye in that case. That ex- it's pretty close, pretty darn close. Yeah. So yeah. So what did you think? Final thoughts on this? What did What did you think of the Captain Marvel books this week? It it started out rough. It it definitely felt like this was not something I was necessarily going to enjoy. It felt a little too on the too kid focused, but the uh, Shazam Power of Hope book completely changed my mind and kept me going. And and with that fantastic story, and then the uh, the the Monster Society of Evil was just this kind of fun fun story that um that didn't take itself too seriously and just did a bunch of crazy things that i would expect in a comic book it looked good and uh ultimately it it this was a this was a pretty fun week when it came to to reading some comic books excellent yeah i think i think really what i wanted to do was get you and anybody out there listening to sort of be be ready for why the Shazam movies are sort of the way they are. Why tonally they're different than other movies. Why it, it makes perfect sense really that in a lot of ways someone would go to these and think, you know, why am I here? I don't have a kid with me. Right? Right. This is, this is uh, you know, I always used to be a big fan of, of the animated stuff back when I was younger and in my 20s I'd always go to like Disney movies and be like I feel weird because I should have a child with me if I'm going to this you know right um I think that there's a little bit about that with with the Shazam movies but hopefully they can still find a way to make something that is interesting I think what really would have helped 
is if they'd been able to make this almost like some of the early Ant-Mans, a, a story that is kind of in its own pocket universe, but connects enough that people who maybe don't look at the, the lighter tone as something they'd normally go to would still get enough of the through line of the universe that it would be something that they'd still feel like they wanted to go to and got something out of. Sure. As it is, I think these are great. At least the first Shazam movie, I really enjoyed. I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with with the second one. But I do worry a little bit about, you know, if with the fact that DC's announced the reboot and everything else, if people are just not going to go. Now that said, the first Shazam movie was actually really successful. It made yeah. it made good money and it got a lot of good word of mouth. So I think there's also a very good chance though that if if indeed this was a movie that a lot of people went to who weren't necessarily going to it because it was a DCEU movie, they might be less affected by the fact that the DCEU was imploded as well and it might maintain more of its audience. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I the part of the reason I ended up going is because I kept hearing from people that weren't necessarily comic book fans that were going to going to ending up at this movie, mm -hmm. maybe at the behest of their kids, maybe maybe not, but they they enjoyed themselves and and so I went. I didn't enjoy myself nearly as much, but uh, you know I feel like maybe with this context now and a little bit more understanding of the world around it that this will this will have uh it will it will hit better this time because when you say not as much it was not at all when we talked not a couple, at all. Years, couple of when we talked not a couple weeks all. ago you you only marginally accepted doing this because i was threatening to make you go to cocaine bear and this was like Correct. like fine i hated Shazam but I think I'll hate Cocaine Bear worse, so I'll do the second Shazam movie if you leave me alone on Cocaine Bear. That is so I'm, factually I am really correct. Hoping that this context helps, and I'm also just hoping that this movie is entertaining. I, I'm, you know, the a lot of the same folks are on board. Hopefully, it's going to be good. We'll see how it goes. And yes, yeah, so that is kind of the look ahead to next week as well because yeah we are going to be heading back to the movie theater and seeing shazam fury of the gods that is that is coming out in just a couple of days uh make sure that you get a chance to go see it and then you can join us for the conversation the following week when we talk all about our thoughts on the film and that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Have some thoughts on Shazam, Captain Marvel, or Fury of the Gods once it comes out? We'd love to hear, we'd love to hear them. Please send us your comments via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com or you can reach out to us via social media we are on twitter that is at comics overtime dan it was so interesting to see shazam in comic book form and i hope that context is going to make 
for a much more enjoyable movie going experience here uh, when I head out to the theater this week. And as always, I'm going to look very forward to hearing your thoughts on it next week. Absolutely. Time for more Captain Marvel. Always time for more Captain Marvel. So have yourself a great one, folks. We'll see you next week. Until next week, take care. <laughs>